Good morning, church family. So good to see you this Lord's Day. Uh, we'll be opening to Acts chapter 6, so if you want to open your Bible to Acts 6 and place your bulletin in there and close it for just a moment, that'd be great. We'll be there shortly. I uh, just have a couple things I want to tell you about before we get into the sermon today. First of all, we have a blue flower on stage, which indicates that our church family is growing by way of a, a newborn child, excited to celebrate the arrival of Isaiah Matthew Lovren uh, to Mark and Heather Lovren. Are you here this morning? Born on May uh, 26th. So let's celebrate and welcome that child to this world. All right. And also, I do want to invite you back tonight at six o'clock. We are having an information meeting regarding the Evangelical Covenant Church denominations annual meeting. Woo, that was a big one. Uh, coming up on June 23rd through the 25th, if you want to know more about the denomination that we're a part of, our local church, how it fits, and how we can be praying for this annual meeting coming up at the end of June, please come out tonight and join me at 6 o'clock uh, for a time together. And then lastly, uh, did you know that it's Pentecost Sunday? Did you know that? Let me tell you why that's important. It's important because it was Pentecost Sunday. It was Pentecost where the Holy Spirit of the living God was poured out upon the believers first in Jerusalem as they waited the promise that Jesus said they would get after he ascended into heaven. He said, wait, I'm going to send you my spirit. And he did. That happened Pentecost Sunday. And as a result, the ministry of Jesus Christ continues today, not through his physical presence on earth, but through you and through me as the hands and feet, quite literally, of Jesus Christ on earth who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That happened on Pentecost. It is Pentecost Sunday. We are going to learn all about the opportunities that God gives us today to be servants in this world through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we open your word and spend time in it this morning, that we would recognize the significance of the church in this world, how we are each an important part of the family of God who has been gifted and called to ministry in various ways. Help us, God, to find our fit in this church family, that we may serve one another and serve you well as we continue to look forward to growing deeper in Christ and going further on mission together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 7. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. 
Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. Then these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Amazing. The church is on the grow. Since Pentecost Sunday, we're probably weeks, maybe a couple months into the expansion of the church. We're nearly 20,000 plus individuals at this time. And as the church grew rapidly, the church also faced unique challenges. Challenges in meeting the needs of the people inside the church. And today we're going to look at the first major challenge that the, first, that the church actually faced. Uh, not the challenge from outside the church or inside the church, but a challenge of ministry to the church. This is the first of, I would say, at least six times in the book of Acts that Luke takes time to identify the expansion of the church and address some of the needs that exist or celebrate what's happening as the church continues to grow. The particular challenge that uh, involved the church here was by way of how ministry was being conducted. There was a group of individuals uh, who were being left out of the distribution of food They felt neglected, and they felt overlooked. And as a result, uh, the apostles got together and put together a ministry plan to meet the needs of the people in the church. Since Pentecost, the apostles were the ones in charge, and they were also the ones doing all of the ministry. But you can imagine that these 12 individuals who were not only in charge of everything, but doing everything, got completely overwhelmed by the time there was 20,000 people in the church, right? Could you imagine trying to meet all those needs? Try meeting the needs of just one person in your life, yet alone 20,000 people in your life. But this is where the apostles found themselves. So they realized that they could no longer continue in this way any longer. So as the church grew, the apostles decided to delegate ministry to the lay people within the church. And what do we find out? This actually pleased the people. Brilliant. It was God's plan all along. I want to remind you today that the church, though many see as an organization, and to some extent it is, is better understood as an organism. Organisms are alive, and so are we. We, the church, are not an organization like you would find in the world where people get together, put a business plan together, and go out meeting needs and selling goods and services. No, we are actually a body, a living organism upon which Christ is the head. And as the church, we are the hands and the feet, quite literally, of Jesus in this world. Yet even though we are an organism, 
we still need organization in order to function well, in order to be a body that serves one another and that fulfills the mission that God has actually given to us. And because this is true, you and your ministry, your service matters to God. It matters to the church. It matters to me. And essentially what I'm saying is I hope you get really clearly today that you matter, that you're needed, and that the gifts that God has given you are necessary to be used within the context of the church to meet not only the needs of the people within the church, but to fulfill the mission of God in this world of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost and need to be saved. You matter. There was two commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples. Do you remember what they are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why these two commandments? Well, because it helps us to establish priority of relationship. Our relationship with God is first and foremost, and our relationship to one another is next of importance. And so as we consider the church, let's make sure that the priority that we live our lives for is relational, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another and those around us. As the first century church grew, it faced challenges, yes, but the apostles, they looked to the members of the church to help serve one another and to help them to remain focused on what their mission was truly all about, bringing Jesus to the world. If you want to take notes this morning, I'll give you some points that you can write down that will be helpful in kind of formulating this message. And the first one is simply this, growing pains can lead to many problems in the church. Growing pains can lead to many problems in the church. Listen to verse one again. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. I want to remind you of a simple truth. Where there are people, there will be problems. Isn't that true? I mean, wouldn't your workplace be a much better place if you didn't have to deal with all the people? Yeah, you laugh because you know it's true, right? Can you imagine if we said that about the church? How sad that would be, right? But where there's people, there's problems. And where there's problems, there's going to be whining and complaining people. That stung a little, didn't it? Now, I want you to take a posture today of grace towards what I'm going to say. If I offend you, because I'm going to be talking about whining and complaining, and you're a whiner and complainer, let me say this, I'm sorry in advance, but don't check out. This message is for you. I'm just kidding. That was a little hard, right? 
but I hope you get it. Whiners and complainers are among us all the time. But how helpful is it really? To be honest with you, what launches us into this whole idea is exactly that. The early church made up of groups of people that were different from one another felt like they were being overlooked and started complaining about it. The growing church was made up of primarily two different groups of people at this time. They were all Jews, by the way, but they come from different parts of the world. The first group of Jews were born and bred in Israel. They spoke Hebrew, and they lived according to the Jewish customs. This group made up the majority group in the church. You know, it's like those of you who were born and bred in Alexandria, right? You, you guys know like what, it, what it's really like to live here, to grow up here, to be a part of our culture and customs and, and way of life. But then there was that other group of people. They were Jews too, by the way. They had been born and bred across the Roman Empire. They spoke Greek or the language of their culture, and they adopted or adapted the Greek culture and the cities that they lived to their lifestyles. This is the group that made up the minority group. The transplants into Alexandria, those who mess things up, they look different, they talk different, they have different culture and customs. And when we put us all together, things get messy, don't they? And when things get messy, if we get overlooked or we feel like there's an injustice among us, sometimes we resort to complaining. Now, as your pastor who has been transitioning from executive pastor to senior pastor, I can tell you that in the last year and a half as your senior pastor, I've dealt with more complaining and whining than I've cared to. This is not an indictment on you. I'm just being transparent with you. It's hard to get up every day and put on your shin guards and wear your makeup because people want to beat you up. And they do. But I want you to know that it's okay. It comes with the territory. It comes with being a leader in a church. But at the same time, I want you to know that as your pastor and as your leader, I can live with thick skin and a soft heart. And together, we move forward together, not divided. So what is our goal ultimately when you put a bunch of people together who are different? You ready? Unity amongst diversity. This is our goal. We have to allow for our differences, but we have to be united in heart, in focus, in admission. The Greek-speaking Jews, well, they complained about their widows not receiving adequate assistance. By the way, caring for the widows and orphans and such is very Jewish, but it's also very biblical, which makes it very Christian. And yet, both groups emphasize caring for the widows. However, the church did not deliberately, I believe, discriminate against the widows. It appears that they were simply unaware that they were being overlooked. And rather than being productive in the solution, 
they turn to whining and complaining, which tends to be the norm, by the way. Isn't that true? Your life, your family life, your business life, the church. We're not exempt from problems as a church because after all, we're a big family and families aren't exempt from problems. So problems in the church are nothing new, but how we handle them matters. Here in chapter six, we find evidence that the first major problem in the church was actually the result of an unmet need in a rapidly growing family. See, some problems in the church, they're petty, and they bring the worst out in us, don't they? You know, I wasn't here at the time this worship center was built, but I can tell you this, and honestly, I don't know if what I'm going to say is true, but I'm going to assume that it is. Hang on to this thought. We used to worship where the patio is today, and the pews that we worshiped on and sat on were actually red, but today they're blue. I don't know who made a stink or even if anybody made a stink of transitioning from red seats to blue seats, but I will be honest with you, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody did. And let me ask this question. Now that we're far enough removed, we're not going to stir the pot anymore. What difference does it make? We get it, right? We get it. Sometimes it's just petty. But other times, there's problems in the church that are need-based. And if they go unaddressed, we actually create more problems. We don't make it better. Whining and complaining, by the way, is never the solution to resolving problems. It's just not. Addressing problems head-on and being a willing participant in the resolution is the best practice. And that's the kind of church that I'm going to lead, and that's the kind of church that we're going to be. If you're aware of an unmet need in the church, don't complain about it. Bring it to the attention of the leaders of the church. Be willing to step in and be a participant in meeting the need within the church. Oftentimes, unmet needs, if we be honest, are the result of ignorance on somebody's part. Oftentimes, the leader's part. Simply not knowing the need exists will provide an environment for the need to never be met. So if there's a need that you know about that's not being met, and we as leaders don't know about in the church, don't expect it to ever be met unless you meet it. Or you bring it to the leaders of the church so that we can address it and do something about it. What I love about our serve ministry that we're launching today is that Jared Wold came to me and he said, you know what? I go on mission trips all over the country and we go and meet people's needs and I wanna bring this same mentality back home And so are you okay if we put together a serve team that we know a list of uh, services that people can provide so that when people call the church, they can give of themselves to meet those services? Amen, brother. We brought it to our leadership team. They said, absolutely. So we're doing this. So if you can give yourself to meet somebody's needs, sign up for it so that someday when you get the call, you can be ready to respond. 
The second point is that a ministry plan is absolutely necessary to address the ministry needs of the church. I just shared one with you by way of our serving ministry. See, the apostles, they didn't ignore the problem, nor did they create a bigger problem by not taking the complaint seriously. They quickly addressed the issue. Follow along, verse 2 and 3. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. See, the apostles identified actually two different needs that needed to be addressed in the church at this point in the expansion of the church. The first was that there was a need for a food distribution program so that everybody's needs could be met. Why were they serving food to 20,000 people? Well, because people came from all over the known world and had descended upon Jerusalem, and all these Christians, a lot of them didn't leave. They didn't have jobs, they didn't have money, and they needed food. So they continued to feed them. After all, they're now part of the family. That was one need that needed to be addressed. The second need was for the apostles to focus their time and attention on the teaching of the word of God and not neglect that by feeding people. Some would suggest that that's arrogant. They thought their ministry was more important, to which I would say that's not what it says and that's not true. Both ministries matter. They are both important, and neither one of them should be neglected. But what the apostles and the congregation recognized was that the apostles couldn't do it all. They needed help. So the church rallied the troops together. The apostles presented a ministry plan around making sure that the needs of the people were being met by sharing the workload with the lay people in the church. I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm going to do my part. But if I could make one request of you, it's this. It is really my responsibility, more than any other responsibility I have, to give myself to prayer and the preaching and teaching of God's word. I am not an apostle. I am a pastor of this local church, and I can't do it all. My appeal to you is to step in and fill all the gaps. Our staff can't do it all. We don't have a bunch of hirelings to do the ministry of the church. We have people who are called, competent, and equipped to lead the church so that the ministry of the church and the gospel can be effectively proclaimed throughout the world. And we're doing just that. But it requires all of us doing our part. You see, this is a model of ministry that we here at Alexandria Covenant actually live into. We have a ministry team model as it relates to our organization. Nearly 30 ministry teams exist in our church upon which the needs of the church are met. It's where we live out being the hands and feet. The benevolence ministry exists to provide funding for people who have a need. 
We have a local, global, and regional mission ministry upon which we oversee the mission outreach of our church. We have children's ministry and youth ministry so we can reach the children and youth within our church and our community. We have adult ministries so that we can disciple and grow more mature believers in the church. All of these ministries exist to meet needs within the church. And when more needs arise, we add ministry. When needs die, we sometimes keep ministry. We shouldn't do that. But we do. Sometimes it's hard to get rid of tradition. Let me just tell you within these ministries how many people it actually takes. Our children's ministry involves nearly 150 volunteers. Our youth ministry, another 40 volunteers. Our adult ministry, some 60 volunteers. You had probably doubled that when it comes to the seniors' ministry of the church. Our first impressions ministry that covers being a greeter or a volunteer at the Welcome Center or serving on our hospitality team or being an usher, being somebody who is bringing security to the campus. 260 volunteers are required to just make that ministry happen. Where's your fit? Where are you serving? One commentator said regarding the importance of handling this particular conflict in the church, you see, solving problems should result in growth, i.e., when we have a new problem, we establish a ministry to meet the need. Problems are barriers to growth when they are not addressed. I will be a pastor and we will be a church where when we know of a need and we have a problem, we won't let it linger. We will live into it and meet it. But we need you to be a part of that. Unresolved problems act like beaver dams on a river that slower stop the flow of water. The flow of water is the flow of ministry, meeting needs and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. Let's make sure that we get rid of those beaver dams so that the flow of ministry in the church can continue. The third point is that the success of a ministry plan is dependent on the priorities of the church. We must have our priorities straight or we will not flourish as a church. Verses two again through four, we're gonna add verse four and listen to this now. So the 12 called the meeting of the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So they selected seven men. They were respected, full of the spirit and wise. They will give them this responsibility. Verse four, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. A division of priority. We can do many things, but we are going to do what we're called to do. As apostles, they were called to preach and pray, so that became their priority. They wouldn't lose sight of it. The seven were called to serve and to help others meet needs around them, so they were going to live into that. Notice that both the apostles and these seven servants had qualifications to fulfill their role. For the servants... They were to be well-respected in their community. They were to be full of the Spirit. That meant that they lived their life in such a way that God was in control and it was obvious to others. And they were wise. They had wisdom. This is important. 
It's important that we understand that we all have a fit in the church and we're all called to service, but we aren't all called to do the same thing. So often we want what we don't have. I would rather be bald than have all this hair. I'm not kidding. But God didn't give me a good head, so he covered it with hair. I'm pretty sure that's why. Sometimes we want to be an ear and we're a foot, or we want to be a foot and we're a hand. Don't be somebody you're not. Be who God made you to be and serve in that capacity in the church. Accept it and live into it. See, meeting people's needs is and will always be an important part of the church. That's not going to go away. But meeting people's needs while neglecting, neglecting the proclamation of the gospel should never happen in the church. And I want you to know that as long as I'm your pastor, that will never go away. The proclamation of the gospel is of utmost importance. And so we will continue to be a church that talks about Jesus and puts Jesus in everything that we do. You know, sadly, it's becoming more of the norm for churches in American denominations to abandon the gospel and be social service driven only. Social services matter and we will not stop doing them. But we will not give up on the gospel. I need you to hear that. It is critical. It is mission critical. And if you can't tell, it grieves my heart that churches are abandoning the gospel for social work and social clubs. This should not be the case, and it will not be here. See, the church, let me remind you, we are the body. Christ is the head. We are his servants. We need everyone involved in the ministry of the church in order to function at its highest capacity and to fulfill our greatest mission. When we all do our part, what happens? The kingdom of God grows because the church grows. Finally, point number four, people in the church are to share in the ministry responsibilities of the church. I think I've hammered this home haven't I? I just have a couple things I want to share, but first let's look at the text. Verse 5, everyone liked this idea. Do you? Do you like the idea that you are included in the ministry of the church, that you matter, that you are needed? Or would you rather pay a bunch of hirelings to do it? No, you wouldn't. Love it like the church loved it. Everyone liked the idea. So they chose these seven individuals. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Chosen. They were prayed over. The laying on the hands was not only an approval and an affirmation of ministry, 
but a transference of authority to complete the ministry you're called to do. And I want you to know that if you serve on a ministry team or you're part of the ministry of this church, you too will live into your fit with the authority to do what you need to do to fulfill the mission God has you on here. We're committed to that. We don't, as a staff, select our own leaders. Our church does. And then we affirm those leaders. And as we affirm those leaders, we give them the authority to fulfill the mission. And that can be you too. For many years, the business world was plagued with the 80-20 challenge. The 80-20 principle that 80% of the work was done by 20% of the workers. It's funny when you talk to people, almost everybody says, yeah, I'm part of the 20%. <laughs> Not everybody's part of the 20%. Or it'd be like the other way around, right? Well, the church, we struggle with this too. I can honestly say that we don't have an 80-20 challenge here. It's probably more like 25-75. We have more room for all of you to do more in the church family. And we hope that you'll respond. I'm going to end on this short story to hopefully give you something to leave with by way of driving the point home. If it's not already. An interesting fable concerns a football game between the little animals and the big animals. Now, to be clear, I don't think you're animals. Don't email me on Monday. I'll call you a whiner. <laughs> the score was 84 to zero at halftime. In hopelessness, the little animals kicked off to begin the second half. Somehow, the chimp who handled the kickoff was tackled on the 10-yard line. The worst field position of the day for the big animals. On first down, they ran the elephant, elephant through the middle, no gain. On second down, they threw a zebra screen pass, no gain. On third down, a deep pass to the tight giraffe, and again, no gain. As the defensive unit of the little animals came screaming off the field, the coach, who's a gopher, shouted over their excited roar, who made the tackle on that kickoff? The centipede responded, I did, coach. Who stopped the elephant down the middle? Again, the centipede responded, I did, coach. Who knocked down the two passes to the gopher's amazement? The centipede again acknowledged his surprising feat on defense. Having heard the report, the coach screamed at the centipede, Where were you the first half? <laughs> to which the centipede replied, In the locker room, taping my ankle. <laughs> Well, this ridiculous story, it has one basic point, and here it is. Too many of us stay in the locker room, taping our ankles when our teams desperately need us on the field. We need you. We want you. You matter. Let's pray. God, thanks for the church. As a family, we know we're going to have problems. 
but thanks for giving us solutions to these problems. That the solution is found in your word and through your people. Help us to be a church where every person serves and understands that they're critical to the health, the growth, the function, and the mission of the church. That only together can we grow deeper in Christ and go further on mission, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.